I would actually be interested to know if 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 Tim was kind of like flying over where I'll, you're doing something on the ground at some point. Oh, we're live. Hey, guys, what is up? Um, so we're talking today about what's going on between Russia and Ukraine. Let me introduce my guests if you don't know them. Tim Davies is a retired RAF tornado pilot. Uh, ground attack roles mostly, wasn't it? Yep. All, all ground attack. Yeah, and Paul was, uh, you know, one of the guys on the ground, you know, uh, dealing with yeah. American conflict theater. So I thought it'd be cool to invite both of them on to sort of like offer a little bit of uh, insight from their perspectives, you know, working with the various native militaries, um, you know, and theaters a campaign that they were in. And I've I've spent the last week or two just like consuming loads and loads of uh, content and sharing some of the uh, stuff on my Twitter feed. And, and, and it's interesting because there's a lot of people starting to go back and forth now and form like uh, very strong opinions in established camps. Um, what are your, like, what's your thought, guys? I mean, Tim, I'll start with you. Like, what's your position and what's been going on right now with Russia and Ukraine? I think what it should start off here, Rick, by saying it's probably the biggest disinformation campaign that we've ever seen. Like, if you... Beyond if COVID? Well, there it is. I mean, is COVID the start? Is that where we're at now? I mean, because, for, you know, I can get all technical about our government and the problems that Boris Johnson had, for example, and how this does alleviate a lot of those, let's be honest. I mean, and alleviate, I mean, he did quite well out of COVID, to be fair, with what he did. We're one of the countries with, the, I think, the the more minimum lockdown constraints. I think we're talking to a Canadian here who and we're looking at the whole of uh, what was probably one of the most liberal sort of Western democracies become the most tyrannical, I think, alongside maybe New Zealand and Australia and things like this. So that's an interesting one. But um, when you start trying to find out what the facts are and you're going through social media channels or even mainstream news channels, I don't know how you can ever choose unless you go through something like Bellingcat, which tries to identify locations and things like that. Mm. How do you even know where the disinformation is coming from or what kind of angle some of these guys are coming from? It's right. I can't even work it out myself. You know, I, I struggle with it. That's the thing. Well, what what do you see right now as far as the sources of the disinformation? Because, I mean, you open with that as like the big point. So what are you seeing, you know, based on your experience? Well, I think you could you could take disinformation from like literally every side. It's, and it's not even overt disinformation. It's not even like the Maskarovka we see or, or, or whatever it might be, or the hybrid warfare that Russia has been implementing for so many, so many years and that we're so familiar with. It's even when you get maybe, say, the, prime, um, the president sorry, of, of Ukraine maybe standing up and saying whatever he's saying and putting an emphasis on it. And of course, that appears on the front page of a newspaper. And there's, you know, there's little kids there, there's women, there's children, everything else. It's, you just got to say, where's the imbalance? You know, where is, well, the balance, is it an imbalance? Where is it? Are we seeing anything that is fair or justified? And I just want to say, by the way, that there's no way I'm saying this invasion was in any way, um, is any way acceptable yeah. to anyone. I mean, it's the most ridiculous thing ever, but there's probably reasons why it happened and we can get into that later. So I try and, I'm really, I'm really struggling between trying to find out what, what is right by using mainstream news sources and then going back into something like, uh, you know, Twitter or anything like that, or any online source really, and trying to work out where they've got better angles on it. Mm -hmm. um, you, yeah. you know how you kind of know the journalists that you trust, and then those journalists become, we saw it with COVID, didn't we? Those journalists become kind of all in on one side, but they're not saying they're all in, they're trying to make out the balance, but they're kind of going all in and all in again. And you think, well, now, who do I now kind of turn to? And I must admit, to be fair, I'm a little bit lost about the whole thing, and I've been covering it like, like you, you know, so. Mm -hmm. So I look at it like, you have to look at motivations because there's the time of unbiased sources is gone. And so I have to look at it from a standpoint of, all right, what is the motivation 
of each different party. And then when a news source comes out, where are they getting that information from? And how are they cherry picking that information to fit that narrative? Yeah. And then from there, that's it, a starting point, at least, of figuring out what's kind of true, what's not. And then trying to find raw sources as well. So like now for me, I have a benefit of knowing different people in different areas of government. I'm not I'm kind of out of it now. Right. I'm just an infantry guy in the National Guard now, but I've been on special operations tiers and I've been on several deployments and I've, I know people in government positions right now. I know people in the Pentagon now. I can't disclose a lot of that stuff and anything they may disclose to me, they're, they're limited in what they can even say on certain things, but I'll get different information from those sources, video clips that people put on different, like, was it something 360? Like there's different sites that where they allow you to put uncensored clips of what's going on in the battlefield, different things like that. Mm -hmm. And so you just kind of have to vet through it a bit from that. But no, knowing though, like if I'm watching something that's pro NATO, pro Ukraine, it's going to be spun to fit a narrative. Now that doesn't mean it's not true, but maybe it's uh, elevated or maybe it's, um, you know, whatever, you know, exaggerated, right? The information, great example, you know, what was that, that island where there was 13 Crimea? guys that said oh, F you okay. and then they were killed and they weren't you know and all this, but they weren't killed right yeah. exactly they're, they're, they're captured you know and so that's a huge like oh this hero story now why would they do that well because they need to they, they're one of the biggest assets that they need in ukraine is is people to fight right i mean so they need a lot of things they need ammo they need money they need weaponry but they need people to stick around and want to stick it out and fight and so they have to ignite these people to do that rather than get complacent and give up against a much larger military force and that's how they're going to do it you know they're going to mm -hmm. have those hero stories to you know get them motivated to to get out there and keep fighting and that's why you know it's a big reason for that and then then russia has their own campaign that they're running so that they can, so putin can still have the support from his people at least enough to not get you know, murdered somehow, or, you know, have revolts in the streets in Russia, they have to, he has to exhibit control over people. And he does it through his own disinformation thing and by force too. It's kind of both, you know, yeah, let's, it, yeah, let's yeah. dive into that in a little bit. But I mean, like when, it, like I've watched now um, in my lifetime on screens unfold the Falkland war, which is pretty much more of like a one way source of information. Cause you'd sit there and you turn on the TV and it would just, you know, give you info. We live in an environment today where you can actually interact with people creating content and providing the information with social media. Then we've had, um, what other wars that we have since then? Iraq 1 and 2, Afghanistan how many times, and all the various conflicts sort of in, in between there. And, you know, it's only recently that I've unplugged. Like, I've been very honest about this. Like, I've, you know, I've just believed everything they told me, you know, for the vast majority of my life. It's only been recently that I've been like, well, hold on a second. That doesn't really add up. And one of the things that's really stood out to me over the last couple of weeks is how quick the mainstream media and the large, um, you know, conglomerate media sources, politicians, anybody in any kind of position of power has been so quick to uh, turn the attention away from beer bug over to Russian man bad. And it's gotten to the point where they're, they're like canceling some of the strangest things. Like I've seen them cancel... Russian cats from competing in like breeding competitions 
I've seen them cancel um, some of the some of the most bizarre stuff. What else have we seen in the last couple of weeks? Uh, Russiaphobia, isn't it? We've seen the same thing over here. Absolutely. The, I think the ballet was cancelled over here. Nikita Mazepin's been cancelled from F1. I've seen that. Well, I say cancelled. He's been dropped from a house. Let's be let's be realistic. A lot of and, the big tech companies have have also restricted access to their services mm -hmm. in Russia. So, for example, right. if you're a, a 14 year old kid that lives in Moscow and you have an Xbox, you can't play with it anymore, right? Because Microsoft has cancelled, you know, access to I guess online gaming. You know, for example. So it's like. The, these like small and incremental cancellations, you know, some might say, well, it's designed to annoy the public, maybe to have them uprise against the government sort of thing. That's and, the hope, but that could back Yeah, you. Yeah, like right. I think there's an argument to that as well. But I mean, like the cancellation of some of the most bizarre things, I don't think I've ever seen this before. Have you guys? I don't well, think so. I mean, we, I look at this and I equate this and people will have a go at me here for this because, of course, the two, one involves a significant amount of death and the other doesn't. But the reason that um, the reason that the Russian forces uh, would target um, housing establishments and everything else, say in Syria, that kind of stuff, and we're seeing the same thing as they, as they work in their way through Ukraine, they're, they're targeting blocks of flats, is to demoralize the population. It yeah. is to make sure the population hasn't got a home, population is seeking peace, they haven't got a car anymore, they haven't got a, a means of... of um, um, uh, income anymore, all these kind of things. And we're just doing it in a kind of different way. Don't get me wrong. It's not, you know, it's not as, as brutal as, as what's happening there. And that needs to stop immediately. But when we're restricting all these services to ordinary Russians, we're expecting these Russian people and Russian people, they're like us, by the way, that, you know, we are good people. We're just managed and everything by by people with sometimes nefarious intent or they, they just got their own agenda. And these people, they're expecting, we're expecting to go and take that fight to, to the streets and to protest and everything in Russia, which I believe is illegal to protest in Russia. I think 1600 people have been uh, sort of taken into custody for protesting that's what we're trying to do so by restricting these services i believe we're trying to get people to go out on the streets and the campaign against what putin's doing in ukraine that's, mm. that's all it is i think it's despicable rich to target um what i would say an innocent populace really with all these restrictions i mean we know that russian cats are dicks we should never have russian cats in these kind of competitions anyway but everything else um i was a supporter of nikita mazepin i felt that was a young man trying to do his best after a really bad start in life okay son of a son of a billionaire or whatever an oligarch but you know he, he come he, he was fighting back from that charge of grabbing his girlfriend whatever and everyone was launching at him you know the virtuous i've never done anything wrong in their right in the life we're launching on this young dude trying to make the best out of a, a career in f1 i was supporting that dude because he's russian I mean, can you listen listen to what we're saying? Because he's Russian, we're going to stop him driving in Formula One. Because he's Russian? Do you mm -hmm. know that crystal Nash in Germany, you know, where, where all the Germans are going around breaking all the Jews' windows? I thought we learned from that back in the Second World War. It's happening again now in Germany. They're going yeah, around like smashing, up Polish, yeah, smashing up Russian restaurants and stuff. Yeah, what is, where, yeah I've seen that. There's, there's Germans that are destroying Russian restaurants and, uh, like, uh, stores, you know, small, like, boutique mom-and-pop shops. Um, there was, um, there was a few, um, you know, millionaires with yachts that had them seized apparently in Mediterranean ports. Like what okay. do they have to do with Putin or a war in Ukraine? And it's like, they're, they're building this systematic campaign. And it's just like, you know, it sounds and feels a lot like the whole, like anybody that didn't want to take a jab, then they would call you an anti-vaxxer and then they would sort of segregate you and separate you out. Well, sure. Like, you know, like you're one of the bad guys because, you know, and, it, and like, you know, today on Twitter, I saw Boycott McDonald's was trending and I'm like, okay, well, what's this about? And I clicked it and apparently all of the um, NPCs are trying to convince other NPCs to not buy McDonald's because McDonald's hasn't boycotted or canceled, you know, their services in Russia, right? 
Well, we're in cancel culture, right? I mean, so it's always been, there's always been some element of that because they're tribal, you know, as a species, human beings are tribal. And so um, there's always been an element of segregation through culture, racial and stuff like that when there's these wars. But we're also now in a cancel culture where we want to feel good about ourselves for essentially doing nothing right and so oh i boycotted russian vodka i'm doing my part right yeah. <laughs> like nobody cares about that chris right? is in so. the chat he said uh <laughs> russian vodka was taken off the shelves here in ontario the lcbo is the liquor control board yep. of ontario so doug ford which is our premier you know decided well we're going to teach the russians a lesson and take their vodka off the shelves yeah that'll show them you know yeah. like it's, it's just virtue signaling because we're not really doing anything because san- sanctions classically have not actually done anything to motivate uh, Putin or the Russians or, uh, to, to do anything different. They We are doing it pretty harsh. I mean, so there is going to be economic damage from that, but it's not going to stop them from shelling. It's not going to stop them from fighting. So it's not real. You know what I mean? There's some damage, but it's not it's not actually but they can feel we can we can feel that like we're doing something and that's what's important is emotions yeah there's um, <laughs> right? there's a comment here from the competent man he says the best part of this bs sanction thing is how you is how energy transactions are exempted so europe is still yeah. buying oil and gas from russia and if i'm not mistaken there's still oil and gas being sold to america from russia is that oh is yeah that correct Cool, yeah, because they don't want the even though it would impact us the least here in the United States, it's the approval ratings and all that stuff. They don't want it to go down when at the pump the price goes up uh, a bit. They don't want that. So Igor says Russian living abroad. It's effing a nightmare. Ukrainian civilians bombed ten thousand Russian soldiers dead. Most were sent without being told where. Yeah, apparently Putin sent in his um, his basics. You know the fodder at this time. I don't think he sent in you know the elite guard from what I understand. Yeah, well, Let's talk about that. Yeah. No, Paul, go, go on. Talk about that. Talk about the young guys going in there. These are young conscripts. You know, they they probably didn't have much future looking forward to in the in the towns they grew up. But the army provides them with an income, so they join the the army. Uh, hopefully, learn a trade if they can. They're on exercise down by the border there, and all of a sudden they get told to, to go across. Now, we, one thing, and I want to hear Paul's view on this because this is the expert yeah. down here, not me. I'm I'm an air guy. I'm not a ground guy, but you know. I, I don't think Putin actually meant to send those people in. I, I think he was, I thought he was going to take maybe the two provinces to the east because they're Russian speaking. They And uh, there's guys in the chat here know a lot more about this than I do. And I just think that um, he was being called out on all the kind of the, the, the false flags and everything. And he just went, you know what, just put him in anyway, put him in. And and before you know it, they're, they're knocking on Kiev without any support whatsoever. It's not a permissive air environment for them whatsoever. They haven't got the air. Um, they're being hit by, you know, all sorts of um, manpad, man portable air defense systems uh, that we're, we're being provided by, you know, external states like ourselves. And these guys are just taking hits and where they never should have been um, huge losses. They should never have been that far forward. They should have taken those eastern provinces. Paul, I mean, I'm interested in your take on this, buddy, because I, I literally am uneducated on this. This is just what I'm reading. And I know what I'm reading isn't necessarily factually correct. So. Yeah, well, and, and I'll, I'll make the, my own caveat is this, I'm just a guy on the Internet, too. So everyone needs to do their own research here. I just I, I came on the show because it occurred to me. Well, besides the invite and, you know, Rich, Rich is the man here. That's why I always come. I show up on an invite with him when he says, come on. But besides that, it's there are so many opinions out there that are are crazy to me. And so because of the the the, um, you know, different media campaigns, people don't know who to trust. And so they're literally bringing on like, hi, I'm an idiot who's over in Ukraine. Oh, hey, idiot. What do you think's going on? And then he just gives his 
political opinion and people are like, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm sitting back going, you guys have no idea what you're listening to or talking about just from having some experience in the military. You know, I'm no general, no strategist, but it's a point of view that I'm just, I'm realizing people just don't have it. That's kind of why I'm here. But now on the ground, here's the thing. Uh, Putin exists in a vacuum to some degree. He's not stupid. Um, he's not suicidal. He actually is a bit calculated, but he's in a, he's, his, his problem is he has his own disinformation because he runs in oh, an oligarchy, right? It's people aren't going to tell him he's wrong. People aren't going to tell him, hey, you know what? This is a bad idea. You should do this or whatever. And that's a problem. So he makes a lot of assumptions. And, and this has been a problem from, with Russia for a lot. And back to the USSR days is they run a propaganda campaign and then they believe their own propaganda. It's like a guy who gets on the Internet, and puts on a personality, and then he believes his own craziness that he's saying on the Internet. Mm -hmm. And that, this is just what ends up happening. So, like, <clears throat> I think he believed the BS that he was putting out to a degree because people were, you know, he's in a vacuum where people are telling him, oh, yeah, absolutely, because they don't want to go against him because that's going to be consequences for them. Right. And so that's the problem. And so when he went into Russia, I don't know if it was like he didn't intend, but I think he thought that it would be easier than it is. You mean? I think that you mean the Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Did I you think guys that, see Putin's uh, speech? I think it was titled "Empire of Lies." Did you see the translation right. to it? Yeah. So, so here's the thing on motivations. There, like, I'm gonna try to look at this unbiased and understand. Just like, like I'm, I'm here with Tim on this one. I'm not justifying anything when i say a motivation but mm -hmm. okay russia has 1.5 trillion dollar gdp with two uh resources to trade and then that's it it's this it's the is, same size gdp as spain basically just just for perspective just so you guys understand russia is a massive country gdp is the size of spain right and and they have uh, like a hundred i think it's a hundred and uh and 88 or 80 million people so they're less than us but more land mass and interestingly too, have, sorry sorry to keep yeah, chiming in because yeah. i have so much information that i've consumed <laughs> no, no, over the last yeah, week but yeah, yeah. russia lost half of its population in 1991 when it broke apart so all of those yeah. breakaway states i can't remember the total count but all of those break breakaway states amounted to russia losing half of its population sorry carry right on. no no yeah so so they're they're not a wealthy country they're poor they have mm -hmm. a lot of land mass land and rich. they do have a yeah. Right. A lot of people. And uh, like our GDP is you know, in the United States is 21 trillion, you know, uh, or yeah, 21. Sorry. Uh, tw yeah. 21 trillion or 21 trillion. Whereas theirs is 1.5. That's a huge difference. So when they when they trade, they don't have leverage. That's the thing. They got uh, two government things, which is gas and oil, but they run it through the government. Now, whenever you run something government versus private sector, it's more inefficient, not profit motivated. Mm. So you have a bunch of people who walk away with money and then everybody <clears> else stays poor. Military budget, like they have a $60 billion budget or we have a, like the United States, we just signed in last year, $777 billion budget. So that's big differences here in money and resources. So his motivation is, to, is, is mainly resources. And then he sees... I mean, here's the way they see it is that NATO and NATO countries fix the trade 
so that they can't get ahead is kind of how they look at it in a way. Um, and that's and so he sees NATO countries. He sees us, the perception as we're evil because of how we set trade up. So we, it's a concept of mutual gain. So mutual gain works like this. If, if I trade with Tim and we both benefit, then everyone's happy and no one tries to fight each other. Right. Mm-hmm. But here's the problem. If I'm trading an iPhone and Tim is training bag, bags of rice, how many bags of rice is it going to take to pay for this iPhone? You see what I mean? And this is how countries will stay poor in this structure unless they can diversify their economy. There's a lot so of people if, that are like, yeah. like, like super concerned about Russia, you know, going further than Ukraine. And I don't see that as a problem. Yeah. So what they want to do is restore borders back to like old borders because they don't have. Yeah, I got a um, slide for that. Hold on a second. Yeah, they don't have oh, strategic yeah. borders. So like, like they have open space now with all with all these countries around them, where if they take some of these countries, then they can have more natural borders, right? Mountains, rivers, things like that, you know, that would that would provide for them better security. Because here's the thing, without economic advantage, they want to use a military advantage to leverage their economic, you know, to try to leverage trade, basically, right? To make can more we just- money. Can we yeah. just go back to the border thing? Because I, I just put <laughs> yeah, this up on the screen that. here. So where's my mouse? Does it show up? Yeah, there it is. So most of these countries off here to the east had nothing to do with NATO until very recently. Um, you know, when the Second World War end, ended, there there was a NATO pact sign, and then there was a Warsaw Pact. Now, the Warsaw Pact has now changed to the uh, CSTO Pact, I think it's called, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so that's basically Russia, Armenia, Belarus, and I think one or two other countries. There's not a lot, but there's been a lot of ground uh, pushed um, easterly with all of these countries over here. I think we've got, yeah. uh, that's Belarus. Um, no, that's not Belarus, is it? No, Belarus is over here. That's that's Poland. And mm-hmm. then we've got a few of these other minor countries over here that have all joined NATO. It's It's been encroaching eastwardly, and there's... I think it's called Article 5 Pact or something like that, where mm-hmm. if a NATO country is attacked, then it's essentially um, like you, you're you basically mm-hmm. going to declare war on the entirety of, of NATO them. at that right, point. Right, that's right. Which is like mm-hmm. stupid. I mean, I can't see a country like Russia um, invading a NATO country because they're going to get, I mean, you're going to lose that and, and badly. You know, whether you have nukes or not, it doesn't matter. I mean, you... Yeah. You're basically going to be on the losing end. So, I mean, like these borders, like, do you think there's any risk of Russia pushing further westerly? I don't think so. I think that they're going to I think they want to push into more of an economic gain and and um, they're using military um, leverage in order to try to do that. If that makes any sense. Um, And that's I mean, because I look at motivations, whether he's saying it or not, it's it's got it's all comes down to money. Like the reason why we're more popular, I'm not popular. The reason why we're more powerful than they are is money. And that's mm-hmm. the reason. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We have a lot more money to throw at a problem than they do. And that's where they lose is money. So they have to lean on force. And so back to the invasion part, I think that in that bubble, they thought that they were going to kind of go in and easily start to take those cities and then place a, you know, overthrow the government. Uh, place a puppet government. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought that was going to go easy for them. Well, the thing is, <laughs> NATO tactics 
and training that we've been giving them and equipment that the little bit of equipment they have from us is uh, at least from a tactical perspective, we're, we're better than they are. All right. It just is, it's a fact. Okay. Because we're, we're, they're, they're in a bubble training in 1940 Soviet uh, tactics. And so what happens is they come don't, in, they start the losing. Soviets on the... have a fairly modern army now though. Like, isn't it but on par do, with the, like the... NATO type of equipment? It's yeah, but ta tactically speaking, they're 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 not good, and you can tell that because uh, look at how many bodies they're losing. Look mm -hmm. at how many uh, much equipment is getting destroyed, and but even some of that, Putin's, some of those numbers Putin's may pushing be in off. his like lower tier soldiers. Like like this is fodder right now that he's pushing in, from what I understand, right? Well, that's the claim. They, I think that people give him a little bit too much credit mm -hmm. on 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 how smart they think he is militarily. Again, he's. I think, in my opinion, is that he believes his own propaganda. Like, so when they have a video showing like jacked Russian dude recruiting video jumping out of a plane, like and like makes him look like super tough. Mm -hmm. He believes that, and this is this goes back like really far where they used to have athletes and they still do this they have these uh pretty much military Wait, athletes. doesn't don't don't all nato uh personnel now have pronouns on their badges on their shoulders with rainbows yeah. and stuff still right it, it, right we're it's getting little, there though little, right? getting close we're a little yeah well and they do they are physically tough pe people i'm not saying yeah. russians aren't tough it's just that but it's like what they'll do is they'll have these guys doing backflips and throwing hatchets and yeah we've all seen the know, promo reels yeah they're like scissors right reels. you know and it's in and, and the thing is though these guys that are it's just like the guys in our pentagon or guys they they're not they don't know what you know shoot move and communicate looks like mm. right so like if, if you have a bunch of people doing a bunch of acrobats the batic stuff and putting on a show it's like they don't know the difference like do you think that a guy who's got a got moved his, himself into a a position in government knows the difference between you know these guys doing a bunch of sh you know doing a show versus mm. what is actually tactically good no they really don't and so this is what ends up happening is is they end up buying into their own propaganda because they're not, they don't vet like we do. Like, so in the United States, how it should work, although there is a bit of politicking is, is there's a level of, um, you know, challenging your, your, you know, saying, Hey, that's not the way it is. Like asking a general and the general says, no, that's not the way it is. And why? Because the general talked to other commanders who've talked to other commanders, you know, and they're all giving them this feedback saying, Hey, here's what we need. Here's what we don't need. Here's what works tactically. We run war games where we challenge ourselves in the game, not trying to put on a show. Right. We, we, and we, when we run these war games, like we have stupid things happen constantly. Like we're idiots, you know, and we're like, God, how are we so stupid? Right. And like, we're really hard on ourselves and how dumb we are in the, when we run things at like JRTC and different, like, um, at, you know, uh, NTC training center and how dumb some of these missions turn out. We're like, God, what is wrong with us? But that's good though, because we're, it's like going into jujitsu practice and getting the crap kicked out of you and go, man, I can't believe that happened to me. Let me, let me figure out what to do better. They, there's a lack of that over there mm -hmm. because of their propaganda stuff. I mean, I'm not saying they'd never train or whatever, but if you're if you're training in all these things that don't matter for combat, then you're not you're not putting your resources and uh, training into things that do matter for combat, which is shoot, move, and communicate. And so we're just better than they are because mm -hmm. of that. It's just simply like difference between learning how to do um, acrobatics and 
you know, fighting for Hollywood or something, and then going and rolling around on the ground or boxing in a real jujitsu class or boxing class and getting beat up, you know? Got it. Got it. Right. Tim, yeah. I want to, I want to throw this back up again. I mean, do you have any concerns with, you know, Putin come, coming knocking on your door in the UK or like pushing into any of these other European countries over here touching NATO? Like, do you think that's an issue? Well, things we, I think most of, most property in London is owned by Russians at the moment. So we always have that. I don't know whether they're going <laughs> to, they're probably already here. No, it's interesting what Paul's saying. You have to remember NATO is a defensive pact. It's not supposed to be an aggressive pact. So yeah. if a country was to go and invade another country, it's not like NATO is going to pile in behind them. It doesn't work like that. It's, it's a non-aggression pact. You have to remember as well that when um, back in the early 90s, I think it was, when uh, the, 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 the USSR, the Soviet Union, in fact, sort of disintegrated and we had breakaway states. I think there was a lot of um, nuclear weapons left within I believe it was Kazakhstan, Belarus, and uh, I believe Ukraine it was apparently had one of the largest Ukraine. stockpiles too, yeah. That's right. And so part of the non-proliferation, the nuclear non-proliferation um, treaty, I believe, back in 94, was to make sure those weapons went back to Russia. And, mm -hmm. and Russia, when that treaty was signed, uh, part of it was making sure that those countries were recognized by Russia and represented on the UN Security Council, which they are, of course. So when Putin now has gone into Ukraine, he has actually gone into what is a sovereign state. I think that's the issue. I don't think he ever meant to literally go in and do that. I think he meant to go in like annex like he did with Crimea he wants to take a segment off the eastern side and that would have been fine but there was an opportunity there and I think he's just gone all in I think it was I think it's a tactical error it's just what Paul says and he's absolutely right what Paul says it's not just the tactics though Paul and I fully I fully appreciate that and there are some exceptional units within Russia not so much like the bot farms and things like this that are part yeah, of yeah, of that. you know these things are exceptionally innovative and, and they do great damage and, and fair play to them don't get me wrong but it's the equipment what we're finding I saw a Panzer S1 that was a, a, a superb piece of a uh, service to a missile system that, I'm, that I was a specialist in, in in the Air Force, and it was stuck in the mud and it was captured. I remember thinking I would do anything to have a look around that thing. It was an absolute to grab hold of that and to take that off the battlefield and to take it apart. And there's been some superb things that have been captured. Uh, I've someone yeah. throwing petrol bombs at some stuff and me saying, no, don't burn it, don't burn it, keep these things, keep it. You know, they're, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're unoccupied, they've been left alone, capture them, get a tractor, get a farmer, let's tow these things so we can re engineer this stuff. Because I, 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 I'm very interested in this stuff. Now, the reason that these things get captured is because they don't have the ability to move off road at the moment because the levels of maintenance uh, that were required have just not happened. So that the tires have degraded, sunlight would degrade tires or inactivity. And when they take these vehicles that weigh you know tons off road, the tires get stuck in the mud. We know the mud's a problem anyway. It's mud's a problem right. for any any conflict. And they the tires come apart. They they separate, and then the vehicle is immobile. Now what you would have of course, and Paul's more into, more into this than I am, you have a logistics chain that's following up and the logistics yeah, chain would be bringing yeah. up and replanning so everything. And they don't mm -hmm. have that. And there's two yeah. reasons they don't have that because one, they didn't expect this to actually go in towards Kiev. They thought it was going to stay right. in the Eastern regions where they could yeah. easily resupply. And the second right. thing, they probably didn't realize how badly engineered these vehicles or maintained the vehicles were because they're senior commanders because of a lack of truth to power, which is exactly what Paul's speaking about. In a yeah. Western military, there is the ability to speak truth to power. You can literally say to a general, general, it's actually a bit worse down than you think it is. And the general will turn around and go and have a smoke with you or something or just have a chat and go, well, I'm interested, tell me. And you'll, you know, a lot of it, people will say you're bleating, but actually the general's interested. In, in Russia, it doesn't yeah. work like that. When when a foreign defense company is piling money into supply tires to, to this brigade, there's every chance that the senior commander in Russia is sort of 
backhanding that a little bit out to the boys and everything, or to himself and a bit of senior commanders, and the money isn't actually being spent on tyres, as opposed to having a two-year interval where you may replace all replace all the tyres and your vehicles. He's probably like, well, let's do a four-year. Nothing's going to happen anyway. We haven't used these vehicles for the last decade, and now when we do need to use them, and he has promised Putin and the commander that everything is, you know, everything is great. It's not just the tyres, it's the rubber seals in the engine, it's the tyre inflation units, right. it's everything else within the vehicle that's been degraded as well. So, so I mean, like, as far as you guys are concerned, you're you're suggesting that Russian military equipment is poorly maintained, organized, yes. supply lines are nowhere near as good as NATO supply lines. Oh, let's lines. talk about logistics for a minute. So, yeah, <laughs> that's another thing, too. It, it, again, it goes back to... Uh, being able to falsify data and being able to, you know, challenge power, truth to power, as Tim says, it, it's like we run uh, training exercises, a big concern in the training exercise to the annoyance of a lot of the infantry guys on the ground who just want to run around and shoot at each other is logistics and the logistical support and getting people challenged on how they're going to support things logistically. And then there's also the money aspect. Look, they have, you know, let's look at it again, $60 trillion budget versus $777 trillion budget, right, for military. So when we go in with our, not only our tactics and equipment, but money, let's look at Iraq or something or Afghanistan, we're setting up logistical support behind those forward guys that are going in. Those vehicles require fuel. Those vehicles require maintenance. Even our stuff, which may be better maintained, arguably, still breaks down still turns into a, a you know into a pile of trash if you don't maintain it mm -hmm. i mean literally between runs and going out on on out in the field you're going into a maintenance section and you're fixing something in a vehicle mm -hmm. and to, to not have that that's mm -hmm. how you have these vehicles just whoops my tank broke down and now a farmer's going to run off with it right and so they're running out of fuel food they can't maintain things i think they thought that they would just take the infrastructure in ukraine easily mm -hmm. and then they would use that infrastructure which is why they didn't well they're preserving it that's for sure though right right and so because because they want that they want to own ukraine either through a puppet government or if they have to own it themselves mm -hmm. to capitalize on the resources there and to re-establish re boundaries do you guys think and, that yeah. a puppet government would work in the ukraine because in 2014 when russia went for no. crimea they had a big <laughs> uprising they threw out yeah. the russian puppet puppet government like it doesn't seem like they're going to mm -hmm. fall for that again the i'm going to say this like and this is what i experienced although Poland's not Ukraine and I, you know, and everything I had, I had the opportunity to go to Ukraine to do training missions. Um, when I got back from Afghanistan on my last trip, uh, this would have been in 2020. I, I chose not to go on that trip. Um, but I've been to Poland for a little bit and trained those guys, uh, worked with those guys. Mm -hmm. I, I have this, uh, I, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's, I know I'm American, right. Or whatever, but like I, they're more American. Okay. than than our own people in the United States are in the sense of the belief in like wanting freedom and opportunity and economic opportunity and democracy and a representative government, like mm -hmm. all of those things, they value that so much. We got, dum-dums here in the united states that i don't know how good they have it to live in a free country um you know when they go on and show up to some protests they don't realize how good they have it that they're allowed to do that you know i say allowed but that they're not getting you know rolled up and you know, disappearing in a gulag somewhere or killed in the streets necessarily right and so it's they don't we we don't we don't appreciate at least here in the united states how free we actually are even with problems that we do have in our own government Mm -hmm. And 
they do appreciate that in places like Poland and from what I understand Ukraine, they they want their economic freedom. They do not want to be owned by an oligarchy. They will there's people in, in Ukraine that will fight that till the, to the death. I mean if they so, have to. So they'll that's not continue an option, to. Though. Yeah. No way. That what you're looking at is an insurgency, just like we saw in Iraq or Afghanistan for 10, 20 years. You know, if if they if That's they own it, not good for it. anybody. It, not good for anybody. Well, you know what? Here's the sad part, and this is where a little bit critical of you know the NATO thing, right? In my own, even my own, my own government, in a sense, is that we'll let that happen. You know, we don't we don't care in a way. We'll let we'll let them we'll let a proxy war happen in another country. And, well, and wouldn't that be an advantage to NATO countries because it'll tie up Russia's attention and go. resources? That's what it is, right? And so, so I mean, like, they would ideally want to facilitate that, wouldn't they? Well, it's not like they're gonna. I mean, it'd be better if we had Ukraine and sort of uh, add them as an ally and stuff. But in, in it's not. It's a, failing it's a, that. Um, you know, keeping Russia busy, busy with exactly. Ukraine. Exactly. That's with what I mean. That's a secondary plan. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Because why? We're not gonna. We're not gonna just throw our resources into um, that country to save them necessarily. If we can keep a proxy war going, Got and that's it. a sad thing about it because we make. This is what makes me angry about a bit about our politicians here is that, you know, we make promises and that we do not keep our promises. And so <laughs> it, with our current regime, they do it all the time, though, yeah. you know, and and the current uh, leadership right now, that is unfortunately what the way it is. Okay, and and um, we saw it in Afghanistan. OK, so so I've got a clip here. I want to get some um commentary back from uh tim and paul on this one it's uh retired u.s army colonel douglas mcgregor uh he went on the news and he told the truth about what led up to the russia ukraine conflict and why it happened so let me just throw this up on the screen let me know if you guys can't hear this let me just hit play here and here is colonel doug mcgregor a former senior advisor okay. to the secretary of defense thank you for joining us why do you think putin is doing this what is his end game well, Vladimir Putin is carrying through on something that he's been warning us about, at least for the last 15 years, which is that he will not tolerate U.S. forces or their missiles on his borders, much as we yeah. would not tolerate Russian troops and missiles in Cuba. And we ignored him, and he finally acted. He was not going to allow Ukraine under any circumstances to join NATO. And what's happened now is that the battle in eastern Ukraine is really almost over. All the Ukrainian troops there have been largely surrounded and cut off. You have a concentration down in the southeast of 30 to 40,000 of them. And if they don't surrender within the next 24 hours, I suspect that the Russians will ultimately annihilate them. That's why Zelensky is meeting with uh, Putin's representatives right now. The game is over. And uh, he's going to have to negotiate the best deal he can get. And we've already told him, the president of the United States has, that if he opts, for neutrality for Ukraine will back him. And I think that Vladimir Putin will do that for Western Ukraine. That is the Ukraine beyond the, the upper river. But behind it in the east where he is now, I'm not sure what he has planned there, whether he forms another republic, annexes it into Russia, because historically it has been Russian. But the territory west of Ukraine is not. He knows that and he's happy to live with that as a neutral state. I am not a military expert. I'm not even an expert on geography. But if he takes Ukraine <laughs> and Ukraine abuts Poland, then he's going to have a NATO country 
abutting him. So if that's what he doesn't want, then isn't he going to just have to keep going until he runs out of NATO countries? I, I guess I should say it again. Uh, he has no interest in crossing the west, the Dnieper and heading west to the Polish border. So, Tim, like, what are your thoughts on that clip? Yeah, that's what I was saying at the beginning. I want to reach, like, if he'd stopped at the eastern states, one of the things we have to, and I think that's what you want to do, stop at the eastern states. Uh, just, just, I'm just going to take those. I'm going to annex these things. I'm happy. The thing about it is, um, I mean, the Monroe Doctrine, when was that going back to now? It was after the Second World War. That's what prevented, uh, that's what the Cuban Missile Crisis was about, wasn't it? It was stopping, if I remember correctly, and don't get me wrong, I could be, I could be inaccurate, but that was stopping... Um, anyone putting any uh, missile systems or anything on Western territory, in effect, that's what Monroe Doctrine said. And of course, I'm not saying we, we tend to be holier than now, don't we, in the West, thinking that we're not ever the aggressor, more always. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. With, and yeah. just like with being economically aggressive is still aggressive. Well, is it, if, if not more so, I mean, people still die. Right. We just don't, it's not blown apart. They're just like not fed and, you know, this kind of thing. You know, and they right. just die most horrible exactly. deaths. So, mm -hmm. um, you're absolutely right and i think if you you have to look at ukraine as well as being the breadbasket of europe i mean the mineral wealth of that country is staggering i mean the oil and gas there and everything else is huge yes mm -hmm. i'm not saying that's a thing that he's wanting we've already discussed about the population loss and everything else uh, that he had but it's a very valuable country and of course all these i'm not even see i'll tell you the whole thing about this that i find quite interesting you become almost like um like a Putin apologist by accident. And yet we're not, we're just trying mm. to be rational about it. We're just trying to right. say, look, if you're going to be the aggressor the whole time, you're going to get, it's like in the playground, you walk around, punch people in the face. Some, some, at some point, someone's going to punch you back. If you take it from the Russian perspective, and you look at Syria and Libya, and you look at Iraq, and you, you literally sit back there, and I know he was supportive in certain actions within those, those, um, uh, those conflicts. You know, we stepped, I remember when I was stepping into Iraq for the, I only went in on the 2003 through 2007 bit. And I remember we had a lawyer come to the, the uh, we were operating on an old UN mandate and the lawyer came to the squadron and said, if you drop any weapons, and I never did, and I'm very fortunate I didn't, I taught many people to do that, but I never did it myself. If you do drop, um, your actions are indefensible currently under the mandate we have. And that's what we were told before we went out there, one of the first ones in Iraq. I mean, how hostile is that as an aggressive actor to go yeah. into these countries and to think that we know better than, than they do? Mm. Yeah. Paul, go ahead. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. So, it mean, that, that assessment's pretty good because he, they, he does want to restore old borders because of natural geographical, like the river, for example. If you start looking at where the old borders were, there were natural uh, geographical um, uh, you know, defense mechanisms, body of water, you know, some you know, elevation or whatever, mountain type thing, like whatever. And I'm not really great on the geography, but if you start going through it, that's what you'll see. And the new borders leave basically open territory that they don't have the resources or manpower to protect. And so that's that's part of it. And then, yeah, it's it's he's saying, I don't want missiles, but we're not necessarily pushing to do that. It's, it's again, goes back to if he, the way that they view the world is, these guys are economically aggressive and we're a poor country because of them and therefore we need to use military leverage in order to negotiate these things you know they need to have negotiating power with the prices of their resources because mm -hmm. of that they don't understand they don't think like we do as capitalists which is okay let's 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 let free market diversify an economy so we're not just trading two things, you know what I mean? Let's let's 
let's work trade deals and let's have a diverse economy because that's how you climb out of a financial hole. They don't see it that way. And, and case in point is the government runs their two, their companies, the major companies, the government just runs it. Mm-hmm. So they're not, they don't, they don't understand free market, free enterprise, or at least they don't respect it like we do because the people in power benefit from not having it that way to a degree, right? Cause they take that money. And so they're not understanding like, well, we can get out of economic poverty this way and be better trade partners the way that their ideology is, well, we need to, they're thinking just in terms of force and territory and land space and people, you know, and, and, and then, Hey, we could just say Ukrainian sovereignty really doesn't exist that we'll make that up now, even though of course, obviously the Ukrainians are, are very motivated to not be owned by Russia, but they'll, they'll just say that that's part of the campaign and try to move those borders back fight for something called indivisibility of security, which means that, you know, we keep things even and we don't put weapons on each other's borders and and to halt NATO because NATO expansion means they lose military leverage, which means then they lose the any kind of economic leverage that they have, which isn't very much. Mm. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, here, let me get these super chats and I got another clip. I want to get some feedback from you guys on a uh, competent man talking about Article 5, mutual defense. Yeah. Um, so we covered that. Uh, revenge imperialism that's what it is Steve says just looking to get the band back together again part of it yeah <laughs> uh, 22 Ruski's reunion to our shirt on sale here. <laughs> uh, okay so I've got it I've got this other clip here and I think this guy's an analyst or a professor if I'm not mistaken let me just throw it up on the screen this is uh, from March 1st so some of this stuff is slightly dated but again uh, tell me if you guys can't hear this I can switch over but uh, which one is this here on my tabs Uh, this guy okay here we go but I actually think that what's going on here is that the West is leading by the way I think this clip here is from 2014-15 yeah it's back from that that, Ukraine down the primrose path and the end result is that Ukraine is going to get wrecked and I believe that the policy that I'm advocating which is neutralizing Ukraine and then building it up economically and getting it out of the competition between Russia on one side and NATO on the other side is the best thing that could happen to the Ukrainians. What we're doing is encouraging the Ukrainians to play tough with the Russians. We're encouraging the Ukrainians to think that they will ultimately become part of the West because we will ultimately defeat Putin and we will ultimately get our way. Time is on our side. And of course, the Ukrainians are playing along with this. And the Ukrainians are almost completely unwilling to compromise with the Russians and instead want to pursue a hardline policy. Well, as I said to you before, if they do that, the end result is that their country is going to be wrecked. And what we're doing is, in effect, encouraging that outcome. I think it would yep. make much more sense for us to, neutral, to, to work to create a neutral Ukraine. It would be in our interest to bury this crisis as quickly as possible. It certainly would be in Russia's interest to do so and most importantly it would be in ukraine's interest to put an end to the crisis thank you thoughts on that tim yeah he's um his, his actual speech is about an hour 40 no hour four hour 15 minutes long it's mm-hmm. worth watching the whole thing um he's kind of there's a couple of experts that have come out obviously three experts are here right you know we could just be guys <laughs> sat around a, a chicken wing bar couldn't we being experts and stuff with a bit of a few beers but um there's other experts apparently that have studied their whole life who, who reckon they know better than us you know that is 
but yeah, I hope who are so. they anyway? <laughs> yeah, I hope, hopefully there are. I hope yeah. so, yeah. If we're in charge, it'd be a lot worse than this, believe me. Um, probably a lot more fun. But uh, yeah, so that guy is worth watching him, and I can't remember his name. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a pretty decent dude, probably worth finding out. Rachel, we've got a link in, in, in the description here. Because he does explain how the West kind of led to this, really, and I can kind of see that. Oh, it's interesting as well, and I know we're going to probably get onto it at some point, Rich, but the, the weakness or the perceived weakness of someone like perceived weakness of the West by someone like Putin, of course, who is trying to restore the USSR to pre kind of uh, Yeltsin days, and, and and that's going back. I think he's always hung up on the fact that the strength he felt there was a superpower, wasn't it, when his USSR there's only two superpowers in the world, of which he was one, and now he's not really a superpower either by GDP or anything else or military might. It's embarrassing for him what's happening right now, of course, but it hasn't just happened very quickly. It hasn't been a blitzkrieg, and he's in Kiev and storming power. That hasn't happened. Right. I think he's very. Um, an ego like that is very is very delicate and very wounded. You know, the West is very good at promising people, as Paul was saying earlier, a lot of things, and then and then not delivering. Things yeah. happen. We have governments that last for three years, for example. How long has Putin been in power for now? I have to go back and and, and try and work that one out. This is one of the longest fun. standing people in power. I think there's a there's a video clip somewhere of him with every American president for like since George Bush, I think one or two. Yeah. Must have been. Yeah. yeah. It was Medvedev, wasn't he? He swapped positions with Medvedev, didn't he? And then swapped back again after he changed the constitution to allow him to stay in further. So he has been part of that infrastructure post Yeltsin for for many many years. And of course, uh, a guy like that who feels he is probably. The, you know, the father of Russia and he's rebuilding it in the image, the, the czarist imperialism, uh, as it probably used to be. And he has talked about that in the past, of course, quite quite considerably. You can understand that um, it, it, for him, it doesn't seem like he's doing anything aggressive. He's just re trying to reestablishing the borders that worked when the country was great. And uh, and of course, it's almost a kind of it's kind of it's almost understanding for a historian i think david starkey was something saying something very similar to this a british historian we have was saying something very similar it's understandable just for us wrapped up in our very short-term western ways we see it as a supreme act of aggression against the sovereign state which of course it is mm -hmm. but how far yeah, historically absolutely. do you want to go back you know how far do we go back well that's always the argument though and i and that they like to make um any of the any any of these sort of dictators to like to make when they invade someone is like well a hundred years ago it was like this so we're gonna go in now and take it back like hey man it's not a hundred years ago we're now and now ukraine is a a sovereign nation with people and families that are running their own system you don't just go in there and take their stuff because even 20 30 whatever old soviet union you know how many years ago a few decades ago it was different back then like you know that's like your girlfriend breaks up with you and remarries and you kick the door in and you grab her and take her back because 20 10 years ago we were in a relationship you're coming with me you know like it's like that's not reality or where we're at now but we know that but that's that's the argument they like to present but paul we um, have to look at this in a, in a context as well i mean my house is yeah. my house is older than your entire country and I, i'm not being funny it was built in 1500 oh, I mean, yeah. you know don't get me wrong uh, you know it's, yeah. it's my grandma's older than america but you know from his context russia is foundational it goes back and back and back there's a huge amount of his history there and of course he sees the imbalance he sees the naivety of america and i'm not saying that at all don't get wrong but he looks at it very differently than how we look at it and of course oh, I know. Yeah, there, yeah, for sure. it's, it's just i think i think if we were in his position we'd be looking at it going what, what's going wrong here you can literally see i think he did um a conference with the oligarchs mm -hmm. didn't he after this and you could see him sitting there 
and every other conference i believe after that his voice wasn't used it was a it was a narrator but that particular one you can find it the conference with the oligarchs post the the invasion he sat there and his voice was fragile and he realized i think he pushed the bad position he just crashed the economy 30 percent. and this dude's sitting next to people where he realizes all of a sudden he's not the biggest dog in the pound anymore there's people there that yeah. can kill him like there are literally very wealthy people and he's just destroyed their hereditary wealth it's like this is familiar yeah. wealth he's got rid of now and they're going to have to rebuild this. And they're looking yeah. at him. You see the stairs. They're like, mm -hmm. what did you do that for? Like, yeah. what was that about? And, and, of course, they know it's about ego and everything else. And as far right. as they're concerned, they just want to make sure their wife gets down to Croatia for a holiday. And she's giving him stick now. It's um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a very difficult thing. But, you know. Oh, no. Yeah. you're Well, and that's you make a great point there, Tim, is that there, we're dealing with fundamentally different ways of looking at the world here. And that's something to always keep in mind and try to try to see it from the other person's perspective so that we can figure out the best strategy if we're in a position i'm not in a position to figure out anything other than my what i'm going to do this afternoon but if i were in that position i want to know that perspective and sometimes i think there's a lack of that um we see it in things like F well afghanistan is a great example the people of afghanistan and that leadership think different and, and there were still human beings we're more alike than we are different, but there are certain fundamental ways of thinking and ideology that makes us different in how they approach a problem. And so we have to understand that in order to understand, okay, why, what are his motivations? Why is he doing this? And then, well, why, how can we solve this without using Ukraine as a place to stack bodies? You know what I mean? How can we do this in a way that we can sort of you know everybody kind of gets some sort of win out of it or feels like they are at least um again without running a proxy war of insurgents out of ukraine for the next 20 years or whatever and so yeah and so that's that's the thing it's really important to to ask ourselves these questions what are these different individuals thinking not just what they're saying to try to convince the public but how do they view the world you know what i mean what, what, what's so, your guys take on this um you know, notion that uh, Putin's going into to like, you know, crush the Nazis or punch a Nazi sort of thing. Because there's apparently like these these photographs that are circling. I've seen a few of them. I didn't share them on Twitter because I wasn't sure about the origin or you know what the reality is. But there's apparently like these groups of like Ukrainians that are using Nazi symbolism, and that's one of the arguments Putin's been using to try to you know clear Rock out the uh, fascist you know scourge sort of thing, like. That's it's, propaganda. Yeah, it's something I think that, you know, he was probably trying to get to resonate with the American public. Yeah, it's, that's right. It's propaganda. He's trying to get, you know, that emotional buy-in for people. And he's so disconnected. Zelensky's not a Nazi, though, right? No, absolutely not. Okay. No, no. The guy, I think, I think he is... Tim, you I kind mean, of raised an eyebrow when I said that. Well, yeah. it's not, again, it's this disinformation. Okay, so let's define what, what, what Nazism is. Are we still talking about national yeah. socialism and rise from the 30s in Germany? Are we? we get people over in the UK here drawing swastikas on walls. I wouldn't have said they were Nazis. I would have said they were just young, disenfranchised men that haven't got any proper parenting. I mean, I'm not saying right. that's one of these people, but how do we define this? How do we quantify? It's a very, and, and Paul's right, it's like you can, I'll tell you the funny thing, because I'm, you do this to me, Rich, sometimes. You do this to me, and all of a sudden, <laughs> we're, just, we're just down the road and rent. But we're not ranting. Like, when you tell so many, when so many lies are told, and if you switch from one lie to another lie to another lie to another lie to another lie, and it happened to me the other day with someone accusing me of some stuff, some troll came on Twitter, and I'm like, hang on, let's just go back and discuss the first lie you told, which was that I was a racist. Let's go start. Oh, but now I'm, what, now my wife's having affairs. And now there's, what's that? I'm, I'm a, you know, it's like, 
how many lies before you let you just there's too many and people will concentrate on the one they want to concentrate on so yeah. people will go ah oh, Zelensky yes national socialist these are Nazi let's concentrate because that that's their that's their bit another person will go well Ukraine could have they could have gone into discussions much earlier and that's the bit before you know it the thing is blown wide open so I struggle to find any kind of um I, I really kind of struggle to say well what is what are you saying about this these Nazis in Ukraine what are they doing what are they who are they challenging where it is it's hard to find that stuff. I remember someone on an Australian program the other day was chucked off the set because he talked about how the Ukrainian government was killing Russians in Eastern Russia. And he came up with this figure like 9,000. And the host said, well, I've been thinking about this for a while now. In fact, I think you should get out. And he chucked this young man out of this Australian talk show. Oh, yeah, actually, I've got that clip. Let's yeah, just, and I remember yeah, thinking, just, so now yeah. we can't, even if the dude was wrong, and he may be yeah. wrong, he's a young dude, reading some stuff on the internet. We've all been there, whatever. I didn't have the internet when I was a kid, luckily. But let's pretend he's wrong. <laughs> completely wrong. Why would you not say to him, okay, young man, why don't you come down on here on a stage, sit down here, right. tell us what, tell us your thinking. Where did you find this information? Let's see if we can work out whether it's right or wrong. When did we stop doing that, Rich? When did right. I stop? Okay, so here's a clip here that you're making reference to. So as someone who comes from the Russian community here in Australia, I've been pretty outraged by the narrative created by our media depicting the Ukraine as the good guy and Russia is the bad guy. Believe it or not, there are a lot of Russians here and around the world that support what Putin uh, is doing in the Ukraine, myself included. Uh, since 2014, uh, the Ukrainian government, together with Nazi groups like the Azov Battalion, have besieged the Russian populations in the Donbass, killing an estimated 13,000 people, Can I... according to the United Nations. That's a lie. That's yeah. Could I finish? Just, just, just quick, quick, quickly finish, and then, and then we'll come to yeah, that, yeah. put that to the panel. So my, my question is, you know, where was your outpouring of grief and concern for those thousands of mostly Russians? Um, okay, question earlier about Russia, and it's been playing on my mind. And Sasha, people here have been talking about family who are suffering, and people are dying. And I understand you wanted to ask your question about is there some reasoning for this but you supported what's happening hearing that people are dying and can i just say i'm just not comfortable with you being here could, could you please there I've, I've been it's really no sasha i'm sorry you, you you can ask a question you can ask a question but we cannot advocate violence i should have asked you to leave then it's been playing on my mind and I'm sorry, but I have to ask you to leave, please. Okay, well, could I... No, 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 please, please, please. Just, 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 just out of respect. Just, no, please, we're not having the conversation, Sasha. We, we can't have people advocating violence. And I should have asked you to leave. It's been playing on my mind. I wanted to have a, a proper conversation about these things, but I have to ask you to leave. I'm really sorry. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry for that, but, you know, these things happen... It's live television. You think about these things. It's really been troubling me that we can have a conversation and we can look at where, where, where the arguments are and we can try to look at the sides of the argument. We can't have, have that. And I'm, I'm sorry. It should have happened earlier. So, I mean, the thing that troubles me about that is you can't have anything that goes against the mainstream narrative. And they're using the same tool out of the toolbox that they use with the beer bug. And it's like, you know, if somebody says, hey, look, I want to wait to take the jab or I want to see what the studies look like or I'm not at risk. You know, for example, anything that's counter mainstream narrative, it's uh, shut up and you go over there and let's get you out of the studio sort of thing. That's what bothers me about that. I'm not taking yeah. sides here. 
No, so now I say on this too, I, I think though a lot of it that that sort of disinformation gets is emotionally motivated because here in the West, um, now we've turned into a bunch of emoting um, little candy asses. Okay, I say that here? But you know what I mean? That's what we, we, we are, right? It's all a bunch of emotions and it's that whole, you know, virtue signaling culture. And so this guy's saying something which I don't, you know, he's, he's probably wrong in a lot of things he's saying there, but it doesn't matter. He's saying something that goes against the grain. And instead of saying, okay, let's look at that and that's wrong because, and bring some other facts to play. It's, it's the emotional response. And that's where that censorship comes from. And then people capitalize on that with interests, companies that want you to order more stuff from them, right? They'll virtue signal or whatever. I'm, we're going to cut off, you know, this Russian entertainment or something like that to, to get something from you. So that's how we do it. Whereas mm -hmm. these other, you know, places like, like Russia, it's government controlled propaganda, like more so. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, here's our narrative. But isn't that starting to happen with like Western sort of media publications sure. like we just saw there? Like Tim, like, what do you think, man? Well, that's exactly it. I mean, so one thing I'm obviously I spent 20 years in the military, but if you're not honest about stuff with each other, especially, then do people just die? It's like, as Paul knows, people die. You know, if you don't tell people when you came, if I brought a jet back and I've broken a bit of the jet, whatever, if I didn't tell my engineers, even if I've done it myself, don't put your hands up and go, I messed something up. Next guy gets in it. He's a mate of yours. He, he goes and flies and he just kills himself because the, the thing breaks. So we and, uh, free speech, whatever it might be. I want to hear more from that young dude. Mm. All right. I want to see, okay, buddy, what are you reading? All right. Because if yeah. you're reading something that I'm not reading, and if so, you know what? I think the worst thing we ever did was force Alex Jones to go underground. But that dude, you know, when he, when you go back, and I, I'm not saying Alex Jones, you know, whenever you go uh, back and you listen to a lot of what stuff that Alex Jones actually said, irrespective of Sandy Hook and the other things he said, were they were atrocious, of course, a lot of things he said actually made a lot of sense and have been proven to be correct as well. We force him underground, and any narrative someone like Alex Jones might have is, is built up in these kind of, these, these cauldrons that we can't even listen to now. We don't even know what the heck they're saying until mm. Timothy McVeigh comes along and blows up something. So these things, yeah. we shouldn't be forcing these people underground. We shouldn't be forcing these people out of studios, especially young people who are influential and are going to be our next leaders. We should be saying, come down here, bring another chair out, get this dude a glass of water, talk to me about this. I'm going to get a guy having a look at this now. I've got an expert over here. And we're going to we're going to either debunk these theories for you and help you get over them, or we're going to accept them into the narrative we're talking about and have a balanced conversation. He actually said something like, we're not having this conversation. Did you hear him say that? I think it was like, yeah. Can you, can you, right. We're not having this conversation. Well, well, he started with the whole emotional thing, like, I feel mm -hmm. like. And anytime yeah, you hear right. like a, I mean. a statement yeah. opening with like, I feel like, like that's a very feminized position to, you know, deal with discourse, right? Like, well, I feel yeah. like it hurts my feelings. It must be right? true. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, come on, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. guys. I want to take take some of these super chats here, but, but but before I do, I just want to pay a a few bills and run a uh, a uh, sponsor reel. So ju so just sit tight for two minutes here. This episode is brought to you by the Unplugged Alpha Supplement Line, Grandike Soap Company, and Chad's Face Scrub. Brothers, if you're like me and you take what you put in your body seriously, you'll want to use the Unplugged Alpha Supplement Line. An obsession with absorption is what sets this line apart from the others. You want to make sure you absorb as much of the supplements as possible so you don't end up peeing out expensive urine. My supplement line is made in the United States from the highest quality domestic ingredients and unlike cheap supplements from China and plastic bottles, mine ship in dark glass bottles to keep your supplements fresher, longer, and won't see endocrine disrupting plastics in your supplements. Nothing is a hard tablet. Everything is an easily digested bioavailable capsule. You can filter all products by their various categories, including testosterone support, 
estrogen metabolism, fat burning, immune health, sleep support, and performance. Visit theunpluggedalpha.com forward slash shop and use the subscribe and save option to get 10% off your supplement orders or just use coupon code alpha10 for 10% off a one-time order to try it out. Men, I use Tactical Soap and God of War beard oil every day. Tactical Soap is a handmade product made in the United States from ingredients you can actually pronounce, not conventional endocrine-lowering toiletry chemicals. Both the soap and beard oils are infused with bioidentical pheromones that are designed by a clinical psychologist and pheromone expert to maximize attractiveness to the opposite sex. Visit coopersoap.com and get 10% off your order today. Gentlemen, my go-to face scrub to keep this manly face clean and clear is Chad's. Again, it's incredibly important to me to only use products with all natural ingredients without nasty chemicals that disrupt male hormone levels or convert to estrogen in your body. And unlike watery scrubs that slip between your fingers, this thick face scrub with black lava sand gives you powerful results in one go. Visit getchads.com and you'll be redirected to the Amazon store you'll get 10% off when you use coupon code GETCHADS10. You can find all the links I've just mentioned pinned below in the top YouTube comment. If you wanna learn more about why I endorse these natural products to my audience, search on my YouTube channel for an episode I did with Dr. Anthony J titled, Playing to Win Number 21, How Estrogenics Make You Fat, Sick, and Infertile with Dr. Anthony J. Let's get on with the show. All right. That's that a cool seamlessly. ad, bro. I like it. Yeah. No, it I'm it. watching it going, ah, that's pretty sweet. You know, like rather than like <laughs> talking about it in every show, I figure let's just, you know, record a sponsor reel oh, and play it because, you know, it's yeah, definitely. Anyway, so back to what we were doing here. Um, let me just grab these supers. So we got, so we dealt with the Nazi question in Ukraine. Prayers for Coach Red Pill in Ukraine. I did invite Gonzalo to come and join us on the show. Um, he didn't respond after about two days ago, so I don't know if he's okay or what's going on with him, but, um, you know, some of the things that he said in a few of his streams and he's a Westerner and expat on the ground living in the Ukraine. And he was talking about, um, what Zelensky did with these, uh, wooden crates of AK 74s distributing to the uh, population. I want to get your guys thoughts on this because apparently a good chunk of the guys that got their hands on these weapons started to use them to settle scores, you know, between themselves, you know, rivalry sort of stuff. And then there was a good chunk of them as well that figured that they were GI Joe with no military training and went after the Russians and apparently got slaughtered. I think his take on it was that, um, he was, he was under the impression that Z Zelensky wanted to use that as a photo opportunity to sort of be like, Hey world, look, you know, citizens are getting destroyed over here. Look at all these bodies sort of thing. What are your thoughts on that with that whole like crate delivery to the population? Because I don't know that that's a good idea or a bad idea. Like, I'm not sure about that one. Uh, good idea. Good idea. But I'm, I mean, coming from America. the United States, America, America, pass the guns out, man. We're doing it. Well, the well, I mean, they, here. Yeah, they, they, they like passed out, you know, like <laughs> Russian and, and yeah. Chinese made AKs to the Afghanistan yeah. population, right? Like, how did that work out when you guys were in conflict? Like, they probably got slaughtered too, right? Well, I mean, it's, it's, you, like this is part of the insurgency sort of strategy. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, there's, you could get slaughtered, you know, that could be what happens. Or, I mean, it's, it's tough because these people want to protect themselves and feel like they need to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, so you would you rather have them running around the streets, throwing rocks and getting shot in the face or being able to shoot back? You know, they don't have the ability to leave necessarily, nor do they want to. They want to fight. They don't have the training 
that's you, you, you have an, you have to do the best with what you have sometimes and having a bunch of people who are willing to take up arms against an occupying government is persuasive to that occupying government. It may get that individual killed. That's a decision they're making. There's plenty of people in every one of our countries here. Well, I mean, they don't really have that choice because uh, Zelensky has stopped uh, males from the age of 18 to 60 from leaving Russia as, or sorry, not Russia, Ukraine as refugees. Like they've been sent back. So it's like, yeah. Do they really have a choice? That that part I don't, uh, yeah, that part I, I, I don't agree with personally, but you know, I, I mean, I didn't hear about like too. a big lineup of feminists, you know, getting together and saying, well, what about us? We want to be part of this, too, over here, you know, it's like surprising to me. Yeah. yeah. Surprise. I mean, shocking. They, right. They can do everything a man can do. I don't know why they're not out there, you know, getting dirty. I don't understand, you know, but yeah. uh, <laughs> so, yeah, there's a couple, though. I will say there are, there are a couple. There's just very, very small percentage. But, yeah, there are but, women in the Ukrainian military. There are uh, quite a oh, few. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, there are. Uh, and they will fight. Yeah, no, absolutely right. But the thing is, though, the law, of our com- the, law, the law of armed conflict actually protects civilians. That's unarmed civilians. It doesn't affect. If, once you give a weapon to a civilian, they're now right. combatant. Right. Okay? So you've got to be very careful when you do that because you make your entire country combatant, which means that the artillery shells hitting the streets and everything are justified under international law if they're not targeting populations. But they're doing anyway. it anyway, though. That's yeah. the problem. So, you know, so they're already it, killing civilians. And they are. they are. They are. So, but that's what we said about them in Syria, wasn't it? Targeting in Syria was the, to to uh, to bring down the population, was, was to demoralize. And, it's, of course, it's right. a war crime. You can't target indiscriminately into populated areas. But, of course, if you've got – I mean, I feel sorry for these people because – you, if you if you listen to the pop, pop, propaganda, whatever coming out from say the Ukrainian government saying the convoy is weak, it can be attacked, and everything like this, you still got Russian troops there that are heavily armored. And if you walk up there with your mates with some AKs, you might have three three magazines of what thirty rounds each or something like that, and you're walking up there. That's you done. You're, you're there. There's no there's no support. There's no light support weapon in depth. There's no uh, MFL fire. There's no air support. There's nothing. As you you know, four D is about to open up on a convoy that's right. forty odd miles long. It's you're young, your brain, your, your, your prefrontal cortex hasn't fully developed. You don't understand consequence yet because you're young mm. dudes. You're going to get ripped apart. And that is exactly what happens. You do get ripped apart. Yeah. I and mean, it feels back like, don't shoot at tanks with a gun and all this kind of shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. So, well, it just, happens the other way around too, though. Don't we see these young Russian military guys who are undertrained getting mm. out there, standing out in the open and getting just wasted by you know, Ukrainians buying cover, shooting at them who have NATO yeah. tactics, right? And yeah, you're so, always in an advantage when you're in a defending position though, right? They are. And this is the big thing that that that, uh, that they, people underestimate how hard, it's much harder more, and uh, to take a defensive defending position to a, to run an attack and to occupy. Mm-hmm. You, 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 it's much riskier, much harder to do that than to bunker yourself in and defend, yeah. you know, unless one, you three, shell yeah. and bomb it, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, what we and- got here? Adriano says all cities are encircled in a major cauldron, and the East has encircled the Azu Battalion of 45,000 to 100,000 men all in nine days. How are they losing? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Wait, so what's the saying? All right. So, circle major. I know that they're, not, oh, well, they're not really pushing into cities. They're more or less circling them right now, right? Well, they are now because they were getting slaughtered and because okay. then they have uh, defensive positions. They would have this idea. That's another thing, like back to Internet people who are running around in Kiev um, making statements and saying things that they don't know they're talking about. They if Russia were are you talking been about able Coach to, Red Pill now? Might be. OK. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I know that there's 
disinformation out there that doesn't mean that you know a weirdo with a cell phone getting kicked out of hotels has any information that's useful all right it's an opinion and a lot of i've i've just like that that young kid who got kicked off a show don't kick him off the internet but i know i've already i've seen little clips and i just can't even watch the name watchable for me because i know that there's stuff in there he's saying that's absolutely not true you know that's it's it's completely it's a it's just his own um misinformation that he has right Mm -hmm. and maybe i have misinformation who knows right i throw that out there as a caveat but at least i'm saying that you know it's there's a perceived authority um because you're you're there but you don't you're not really doing you're not he's not fighting he's not in the government he's not talking to any of these people like he doesn't really know what's going on he's hiding out in places he knows what's going on through his perspective you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um to me it's not that valuable uh at least not enough to look at it and go oh yeah everything he says is true and anything anyone else says is not true it's like Mm -hmm. no dude but um but yeah, that being said, I what was our <laughs> last track? What are we talking about? Are we talking about the 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 arming the plot the populace still or yeah <laughs> yeah? So it's I mean this is my thought and 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 this is why we have an armed populace in the United States is again it's much harder to take a populace of people if they have the ability to defend themselves. They don't. But I mean, there's a big to... difference though because Americans that own guns like they'll go to the range, they'll train with them. Pretty extensively. I mean, if you drop a wooden crate of like AKs into a city center and a bunch of people that have never touched a rifle before pick it up. Yeah, but I wouldn't say that that would be the case in Ukraine, though, because they, in, they, Ukraine, they have their rights to have weapons. They're not they're they're not a they're not like Australia. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So people in Ukraine know how to shoot and do do stuff like especially the, the males in that population. They grew up around that mm-hmm. and they have a Russian threat. So same with like Poland. Polish people know how to handle a weapon. You know what I mean? They're they're a formidable uh, populace for sure, mm-hmm. and the Ukraine is the same way. So it's not like it's not like dropping a, a crate of weapons in, in, a, in a village somewhere where they've never seen what that looks like. Even mm-hmm. Afghanistan, I mean, Afghanistan, they know what weapons are. Every male has touched an AK-47 and shot it probably before because they're in a warring nation, and mm-hmm. that's the tool that they use for war. So these are not like completely ignorant people who don't know how to use it but they're not trained in military tactics and they get themselves killed. Well, people trained in military tactics get themselves killed too. It's just like saying, it's like saying this, if I have a, my, my, my girlfriend or my friend's daughter or something like, you know, don't fight back. If the, you know, the guy tries to kidnap you and do bad things to you uh, and don't carry a weapon because, you know, you might get yourself hurt because you're not trained with it. Well, no, I want that person to have as much leverage as possible. The ability to fight increases their chances of survival and winning, even if they're against a stronger opponent. And so I want to give the I would want to give these people the most ability as as that I could give them to fight. And in absence of us, say us, meaning US or Canada or you know, Britain or any NATO country sending in troops, in absence of that, what are they supposed to do? You know what I mean? And so um, and as far as, you know, Zelensky is a, a leader with certain everybody has selfish motivations, but I wouldn't say that they're, they're not there's not a benevolency to those motivations like this presentation that he's this power hungry dictator, just like worse than Putin. It's a kind of a crazy assumption. 
Well, there's I don't some, see that at all. There's some people you in the chat right now, you know, to that point where, you know, the more yeah. she was talking about uh, Nazism is a key component of the Ukrainian identity. They have even a stadium named after a collaborator who butchered not only Ukrainians, but Polish too. I don't, I don't know that much about that part of the country's history. I don't is that either. anything that, you know, that you guys know about? Well, when it says Nazism, do they mean that they're, they're anti-Semitic or something or, or anti-Zionist? Yeah, what do they or, mean by that? I, exactly. I think, that's, I think it's potentially fascism, you know, more than oh, anything, okay. right? Okay, okay. It's a, it's a very broad church. That's yeah. Also, isn't it, if yeah. Well, well, fascism is, you know, is, you know, corporations linking up with the government and being controlled by the government and and having an unholy alliance between those two to that control a lot people. like the West. Right. So yeah. what do we mean? Right. Yeah, and this is what I mean. Yeah. Like, so, so you're going to say it's a part of their identity, but what is German Nazism? Not that Hitler's book. Like what, what do we mean by that? Right. Because yeah. we call people Nazis say we, but the woke culture calls people Nazis who don't agree with them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So what does that comment mean? See what I mean? And then this is where it gets a bit tribal and a bit silly. Yeah. This is know, one of I the think. like, you know, typical sort of thoughts that guys have at times like this when they've been told that masculinity is toxic and, you know, like all this for their entire lives. And all of a sudden, you know, by the way, all these Ukrainian men forced in the military, men suddenly have value when society goes to shit. Why Ukrainian women are not forced in the military? Because because it's because it's the standard, you know, societal, you know, convention, guys, when you unplug, you understand that women and children are always protected. Women, children yeah. and dogs are always loved unconditionally. Men are only loved under the condition they provide something of value. In this case, in Ukraine, the value that they're looking for these men to provide is to protect the country from the invaders. Um, I don't like literally I don't know what value a 60 year old guy would have in the military. Like I'm like. I'm in my late forties and I don't know how useful I would be, you know, like I wouldn't be able to carry a 80 pound, uh, rucksack, you know, for like a long March. Like I, I just wouldn't be that useful other things perhaps, but I don't know. Like I questioned, you know, some of these strategies, to, you know, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's out of desperation that these strategies are being, it is desperation. Yeah. I mean, like you, know. you throw a, I mean, you force 60 year olds back into the country that are trying to leave as a ref, refugee. It's, it's, it's definitely, a. uh, you know, yeah. desperation clause, the Western censorship live. Uh, the he's referring to that. Yeah. Yeah. Thing, yeah. Women are not drafted. Very big difference. A female Ukrainian doctor be valuable at a front line. A hundred percent. There's plenty of women that are valuable in all the military, all yeah. the militaries. Yeah. It's when, when, it, when we have some of these discussions, I, I'm, I'm referring to my, my issue now, this is sort of getting off into a different thing. Um, but you don't have this issue. Interestingly, as much like say in the Polish military or, or, or some of these other ones is that um, it's, it's a lowering of standards to, you know, make women, you know, as successful as men, right. Blank mm -hmm. slate equalism, blank slate equalism, excuse me, that gets implied and it lowers the standards for the quality of the soldier who's in an infantry position or special operations um, fighting position. That's the problem. It's not like women are the problem. And it's the social dynamics, you know, and then this protect all women kind of, you know, anti uh, me too stuff that goes on. That's a little overboard. Right. And you miss you lose the social dynamics that you need in at a squad or fire team level amongst men who are doing the fighting. Mm -hmm. it, it's not that women aren't valuable in the military, though. They absolutely are. Um, but forcing anybody though to fight or be that doesn't want to be there. It's not really the most valuable thing, I think. Um, there's um, 
there's oh, something else I wanted to also kind of throw up as a talking point too, because a lot of people these days are like behaving like human conflict is something new and that it's bad and that it should never happen and we should put an end to it. But I came yeah. across, um, you know, the slide over here. This is this is global de deaths and conflict since the year 1400. So this is about 600 years worth of data. And it's not just been like this for like the last 600 years. It's been like this throughout human history. Um, if you can't really see it that well, the, the bumpy line here is the total number of deaths in hundreds of thousands of people. And each mm -hmm. little dot that you see are wars during that period of time in history. Obviously, the largest ones being First World War, Second World War, and the 30-year year war. But there's a bunch of minor conflicts, you know, throughout his human beings are not peaceful people. Like we are fucking warring and, and, yeah. and we like conflict. We've always loved conflict throughout history. We're basically like, like chimpanzees. I mean, if you study some of the primates and you see how chimpanzees like fight and organize and war with each other and they'll, they'll literally like rip off each other's genitalia. Like, like they'll murder the shit out of each other. So it's like, this is not un uncommon. In fact, it's, it's uncommon right now in this period of history here, off, off to the far right, you know, we're in the 2000s where we don't have that, that much in the way of conflict and deaths. You know, wars tend to be quite rapid, efficient, and they're over and done with, you know, reasonably quick, you know, versus how they've been dealt with in the past. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? We're quite lucky to be living in this time, aren't we, really? I mean, I think I, would I was going to ask that, one, yeah. one of the questions which I was going to say is like about the, and I hate to use the term, you know, the pacification of the West, but the, it was definitely dumb, the dumbing down of the hardness of the West. Yeah. You know, how has this happened? And does that have a reflection? Has Putin been sitting there watching us talking about pronouns and LGBTQA, PPK, 2S, whatever? Well, I've run out of figures. Yeah. You know what? They're adding stuff on. Has he been watching what's happening, especially, I think, in what we see in American schools where they're trying to bring in critical race theory or critical well, um, social Well, we've seen him talk about it in some of his speeches mm. where he's like, yeah. you know, I've been watching what's been happening in the U.S. and it's an interesting experiment, you know, and I'm paraphrasing here. And he basically says, you know, we'll see how it turns out for them. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. And so that's and there's and that's in some ways and that's, you know, to, to, to caveat, like Ukraine is not in like play these these other old ussr countries they're not going with woke narratives either though right like eastern europe is not getting into that you know what i mean they're, mm -hmm. they they don't have it's always like kind of infiltrated like through the universities usually is that where is where that happens like liberal yeah. universities yeah. but they're not bought into like some of the things that like california you know what i mean you don't have a california equivalent over in these countries so they they do see things fundamentally different and 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 they see masculinity and and some of these things differently and and they understand and embrace masculinity a lot more in eastern europe and in russia but just because of that that doesn't mean that their other decisions are good or strategically the right answer though you know what i mean and so like yeah. i can support uh putin's idea of you know maybe woke stuff isn't a great idea and we don't want that here without that, supporting the other things you might believe in you know what i'm saying <laughs> do, you, do you guys think that the um that the softness that the west has portrayed to china and russia may have played yeah. a role in putin invading ukraine thinking okay look the time's right you know we just wrapped up this uh covid thing um he's actually got a serious problem with his population because he's not replacing population right now like yeah. his population growth is completely stagnant so well, right. he doesn't have time in 20 years to do this. Like if he was going to do this, it needed to be done now too. So that's one of the other things to consider. But do you think that he's looked at the West and been like, hmm, 
all of these, you know, like people doing all these weird fluffy things uh, has obviously made them softer. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. He, our leadership is, is seen as weak right now because of that. Globally, our, like, like the world globally. sees the West as like a weak sort of. Right. Like, and so softening. like, he, yep. And so like, you know, love or hate the guy, I don't think this would have happened with Trump sitting in office mm -hmm. because he wasn't seen as that weak person. One of the things kind of... that Tim and I talked about when we did a cast yeah. back in the day a few months ago, and you guys should watch it. It's a really good conversation on my channel. And Tim and I did one on his channel as well too, Fast Jet Performance. Um, one of the things that we talked about was some of this diversity and inclusivity training that's now being brought into the Royal Air Force. Is this something that the US military is doing a lot of as well too, Paul? To a degree, yeah. To a degree, you know, I mean, it's and it's being some of these narratives are being pushed off. I mean, I, I'm I'm a little I, I you know I try to purposefully not look at it, you know, and stay mm -hmm. in my corner mm -hmm. and just train these guys, train my guys, and and what and why do I do it? Like because I people ask, like you know, you have thriving, you have, you have pretty good, you know, apex mindset's a good business right now. I mean, I'm doing helping a lot of guys out. I got a new sense of purpose. Why do I do this still with the military? And, and the reason is, you know, I know that at any point war can, war can happen and that young guys are going to have to go fight. And I have skill sets and things from previous wars and previous training to impart to these guys, mm -hmm. even if it's just in a National Guard sense, because in the U.S. we don't draft anymore. We cycle in the National Guard to, um, you know, deal with uh, – you know, troop numbers and stuff like that. And um, those National Guard guys, they're going to have to fight and be infantrymen, just like active duty infantrymen when they get in that, that conflict. Like, there's no difference then. Once they're, once bullets are being exchanged, they're going to survive or not survive based on their skills. And so and that's why I do what I do still, because it can happen at any at any point. You know what I mean? And we have to have that mindset. But we lose that mindset because of comfort. We're in a situation where we're very comfortable. We're so comfortable that we can cry and whine on the internet about just about anything. I mean, we destroy ourselves with how comfortable we are. We decimate our economy over a virus that kills some people, but a very small amount um, because we're too comfortable. You know, we collect, we, we hand out government checks and let our economy suffer for it because we're so comfortable. And now, that's being looked at by these other countries going, yeah, this, they're, they're, they're weak. They're sissies. We can do this now. And, and because they're on the other side of it, we're economically viable and they are not, they're effing economically suffering mm -hmm. and their population is going down, which means they're going to suffer more. I mean, there, that's a problem is there is that they're on an economic decline. They have to stop that. And this is how they feel like they can stop it because they feel like it's our fault that they're in a decline. And Tim, in some ways, the way we set trade up, it kind of is. Tim, what do you, you think about I mean? all this stuff? I think America does have significant problems, to be honest. I, I think the Western is it, world is it, does. Is it just America or is it the other? No, I think the Western world too. definitely does. I don't yeah. think um, Putin's Russia is, is that different to, to what we're seeing out in the West. If anything, this, this, we call it American theory over in Europe. He, most definitely, he calls it American theory. When we look at wokeism coming from what is the Western United States, I think, where we look at um, critical social justice and the, the damage that that's, that's doing through the institutions. And of course, uh, you know, our, our institutions are also infected by this. HR 
massively infected by this. Um, you know, coming out of the military as a, as a white dude, I, I was told that I'd have to wait six months before I could apply to a certain company, let's say, to become an instructor on a certain platform because they were looking for women and uh, they use the term BAME, which I think is horrendously divisive and I never use that term BAME, but they were looking for eth more ethnically diverse people to come and teach on very complicated platforms. And of course, they didn't find anyone when they called me up again. I started a company like Paul's um, and you have to, and then you're doing your own thing because we have to start companies. That's what men do. You have to forage. No one's going to look after you. We're not victims. We're going to do the work. We put the work in. That's exactly what we do. That's what you preach in your channel, Rich. Don't get me wrong. I think that Putin, though, is very connected to the West. He looked at it as a time when we were distracted, is a great word to use. We're distracted with um, George Floyd. Uh, we're distracted with BLM. We're distracted with critical race theory, uh, critical social justice. Uh, we're distracted yeah. with um, a president who maybe is a little bit not necessarily in a connected way, such as Trump He's not was. There. And we Trump should just say anymore. that. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not. I'm not. You know, it's your. It's, your, it's, it's, it's Rich's presence, not my presence. Sorry, Paul's presence, not my presence. I'm Paul's gonna, not you know, mine. Yeah. yeah well, Mine's another Muppet. Own, you have your own. I'm, yeah, exactly. I got yeah. no yeah. emotional skin in this game. It's it's not going to offend me one bit. It's it's just I mean because then that's another thing I mean back to I mean people and I'm not I'm not trying to I'm not like this Trumper like everyone is so ideological I can see the chat we're like he's like this and he's like dude I don't know I really don't care it's like I'm just trying to look at things as objectively as possible and I know that of course I have a point of view that is you know is different than other people because of my influences, but I'm trying to be objective here. I and mean, objectively speaking, Trump is very good at negotiating with these other countries. Yeah. You know, if you look at his foreign policy, he, when he says things like, Oh, you know, he, oh, Putin, he's very smart. He's very smart. You know, that people lose their but mind. Paul, How could you he, say that about him? But Paul, he made mean tweets. <laughs> yeah. Right. But here's the thing. They don't understand. They don't understand that by calling him smart and not being insulting that yeah. allows him to show up to the table in a negotiation and have a connection and a talk and then talk about needs, wants and leverage things and then get to an agreement that doesn't involve yeah. a there proxy a, war in There Ukraine. was a video clip, I couldn't <laughs> find know? it, but, but there was a video clip of Trump sitting at a table with I think um, a German um, group right. of parliament, like, you know, something to do with EU and he was basically like lecturing them on, look, you know, you guys are getting all your oil and gas from Russia. And there's all these compromises that we've made. And he's like, I'm not having it anymore. And he's and he's basically grilling him on that. And I, I mean, look, whether you love him or hate him, I mean, he you know, he stood ground and yeah. you got to respect somebody that like stands ground based on on principles that are right for your country. Um, right. You know, but there's always somebody that lose, you know, gets their panties in a knot over those sorts of conversations. Um, if if Putin's goal is to reestablish the Soviet Union, neutral Ukraine, uh, that does not aspire to join NATO. Well, Ukraine's been talking to NATO, you know, quite a bit. There's a there, there's a really good video which I'm going to drop in the chat and kind of close with in a little bit. But uh, we'll just buy time for Russian military prep. Great analysis by Paul. Thank you. Um, there's a video here which I'm going to drop in the live chat. It, it's it, it's on real life lore, which is a really interesting um, kind of like. Uh, it's a great YouTube channel. It's got five and a half million views. And the title of it is Why Russia is Invading Ukraine. And it's basically a 31-minute documentary that breaks down every single step along the way. So I'll drop that in the chat and I'll also put it in the uh, comments when the video renders so you guys can check that out. Um, I want to start to wrap it up, guys. Is there anything yeah. else that you all wanted to hit on with this show? I, I do to want war? to say something before we close off real quick. In yeah. that just that I have a lot of compassion 
for people yeah. in, in, uh, in both countries, right? The Ukrainians and the Russians too, like the Russian people as well. And so, you know, when I'm getting on here and talking about this stuff, I'm talking about leadership and strategy. If I'm being, you know, it's come across as critical as like so, some of Russian policy, for example, well, I think it's rightfully so, but that doesn't mean I have anything against the people of Russia who have to live there and have to deal with what they're dealing with or the people of Ukraine. I mean, these people are relatively similar and would probably get along really well. They're more the same for, than they are different, 100%. Exactly. If it wasn't for the governments that we have trying to leverage, leverage uh, unfortunately, a conflict to, to gain from it. So I have, I just right or wrong whatever it is whatever your beliefs are i just have that that my my heart goes out to all these people who are being affected and, and both places and then i always want to get that one out there you, you know because of this conversation people get emotional and they get into their i because everyone has a safe world theory right they can't objectively mm -hmm. look at things i have to believe russia's terrible or for my safe world theory or else or i have to believe nato is wrong and ukraine is this or this guy is that there, and it's like there's been a lot of relax. mistakes made on both sides that <laughs> a lot documentary of sides. yeah Absolutely. That, that documentary that i dropped in the live chat definitely watch it it's a good use of 32 minutes of your time tim yeah, I mean, I think and you're absolutely right. And Paul, I think it's been great listening to you today. You know, I completely back up what you're saying and what Richard's saying. Sometimes, I mean, as a tornado pilot, people used to be quite critical of the fact that we go to a target and destroy it until it was dead. It was never going to, and it was an overwhelming weight of firepower, something the Americans know very well. You know, when you're attacking something, you're going three to one. And why do you do that? Because if you don't do that, it prolongs the engagement and more people die. Mm civilians die where they wouldn't have died before um and, and really bad things happen and escalate so very often and i think one of the most damaging things that putin has done here is he's not been decisive in what he's been doing unfortunately because now we're going to see a lot of people caught up in a conflict probably over many years possibly and i hope that's not the case that wouldn't have happened if he'd gone in there and he'd captured these keynotes with proper logistics and proper armor and brigades coming down and flanking other brigades and a, a mass blitzkrieg mobility into kiev and there probably been a very little loss of life and he could have then hoisted the flag and gone now we're going to discuss my occupation of Ukraine. Unfortunately, by not doing that, this could this could end up really badly. And a lot of people don't understand that this, you know, like like what we call like not soft power as such, but just the failing military campaign can have such a detrimental effect over many many sort of decades. And maybe people, if and I wish Rich, you know, I don't know, I haven't seen that video yet, but I wish people could read up on warfare and and uh, how strategists do warfare properly especially you know generals and everything else that have been there for a long time it the reason that there is such significant violence instantaneous is to save life over a longer period of time does that make sense it's a misunderstanding yeah. when yeah. people think we should go in softly and and I'm, unfortunately i think we're going to see that in ukraine if we're not careful yeah it's you know it's, it's one of those things point. i mean i you know i spent a lot of time watching you know military history, especially like the World War II conflict. So this is the video here. Um, it's dropped in the chat, you know, definitely go check it out. It, it, it breaks it down nicely. War sucks, yeah. people die, uh, you know, borders change. Like there's all kinds of things that's that's going on right now. And I invite you to, t you know, take a look at this from every angle possible. And the, the one thing that I'm always gonna be critical of, especially lately is like just just question like ask questions like like is this true is this real you know like the mainstream narrative to me has led us astray horribly especially over the yeah. last few you know few years we saw what happened with covid you know we saw 
the lies that they fed us there. And, um, you know, some, some people have unplugged. There's still a lot of people that like, you know, like lock me down harder, daddy, like make me wear 17 masks and jab me 3000 times. Like there's, you know, there's yeah. a contingent of that too, but you know, just open your eyes and pay attention. And, um, you know, thank God the shit's not happening on our soil, but, um, yeah, uh, you know, hopefully it wraps up soon and, um, you know, they settle their differences and, um, you know, it works out for the best really. Yeah. I mean, like, what else can you say and do at this point? Yeah, right. Not much. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, want to thank you for uh, hopping on with me. And uh, guys, definitely go check out that documentary. It's really interesting. Have a good yeah, one.